You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to NeuroFrontiers, produced in cooperation with the American Academy of Neurology. Your host is Dr. Anthony Alessi, Fellow of the American Academy of Neurology and Stroke Program Director at the William Bacchus Hospital in Norwich, Connecticut. Is there an app for making it easier for your patients to monitor their neurologic issues? The answer is yes, and in fact, there are several. Dr. Neil Busis, Chief of the Division of Neurology at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, Shadyside, and board member and fellow of the American Academy of Neurology, will be discussing that with us on how mobile devices are improving neurologic care, today on NeuroFrontiers. Dr. Busis, welcome to ReachMD. Thank you for inviting me to speak. Neil, we use apps on our smartphones all the time, and we track so many things. Everybody's always tracking sports scores or whatever is going on in the world on their phone and other mobile device. What prompted you to decide to use this technology for your patients? Well, I read about various early efforts at smartphone technology, such as the Newton, which were failures and were, as you know, made fun of in Doonesbury. And then the Palm came out, and it was the first usable personal digital assistant. And so for my 50th birthday in 2001, I asked my kids to get me a Palm device. So I figured, well, is this a toy or is this something I can use? So I bring it into my office. I'm seeing a patient. I've loaded Hippocrates, a medical database on it. And one of the first people I see is a man who has epilepsy who's on Dilantin, and his hands have turned purple. And so I wondered, of course, I'd never seen this before, I wondered, of course, whether Dilantin could cause people's hands to turn purple. So instead of going out of the examining room into my office, looking through the PDA and all those, you know, pages and pages of tiny type, I figured I'd look up purple gloves and Dilantin on my PDA. And sure enough, Dilantin can cause something called the purple glove syndrome. So I could solve right at the bedside what this guy's problem was, right without interrupting my workflow at all. And this sold me on the utility of mobile computing devices with patient care. Can you tell us about some of the programs designed specifically for neurology patients? Well, it's very interesting. People ask that question a lot. And the most important applications are actually the basic ones that are built into most phones. There are specialized ones that we'll talk about later. But the basic core functionality phone, email, contacts, calendars, text messaging are actually the most important for medical care. You have your appointments, you can call your doctor. Text messaging is actually the most important healthcare application in the world. It's used even in third world countries to communicate with their doctors, to send them results, and to send them reminders, for example, to take your malaria medicine, as a recent peer-reviewed article shows. So you don't have to get fancy medical applications to use cell phones and smartphones for medical care. Even cell phone cameras can have medical uses. There's a recent paper in one of the neurology journals where a fellow was walking down the street with his friends and he had a spell. He collapsed and had a spell. His friends took his picture with their cell phones. It was a classic seizure. So when the man showed the picture to his doctor, he could make the diagnosis much easier than relying on this man's memory for what had happened. So the core functions are actually the most important, but there are a number of special dedicated applications, of course. There are ones to find disease information, which is, of course, the traditional use of the World Wide Web. 
but they're to manage your disease, for example, how to rotate sites when you're taking immunomodulatory therapy for MS. There are personal health records that you can carry with you. There are assisted communication devices, for example. There are translation programs that will translate one language to another, useful if you're seeing a physician who doesn't speak your language. There are text-to-speech programs. That's how Roger Ebert, the eminent movie critic, speaks now. He lost his voice box to cancer a number of years ago, and he has a very cheap iPhone application where he can type out what he wants to say and speak to other people over the phone with it. There's speech-to-text. There's picture-based communication programs. There's even programs to teach you sign languages. One of the emerging uses of smartphone technology for patients is as prosthetic devices. This is something I really couldn't conceive of until a few years ago. For example, at the basic level, the camera can magnify pictures. So if you have trouble seeing, your smartphone can make them bigger. It can amplify sound. It can actually correct color blindness. There are monitoring programs. For example, there's a tremor tracer where you can trace your tremor on your iPhone app, send it to your doctor, and he can see whether the medicine is making it better or not. There are ways to track seizures. One iPhone program called DigitEyes enables people without vision to read barcode labels. So you can scan universal product codes and hear the names of over 7.5 million products. Neil, are a lot of these programs friendly towards computer users? I know you're pretty tech savvy, but can the average patient really manipulate these? Yes. If you can use a basic smartphone, you can use most of these programs. Remember, the smartphone interface is a much simpler interface than a regular computer. So the answer is yes, but of course there's one catch. And the catch is that if you're a patient who has a neurological condition, you may have some cognitive impairment or physical impairment that can get in the way of using these devices. Uh, For example, poor eyesight, poor motor control. But just like computers, desktop and laptop, have accessibility features built in, modern smartphones have accessibility features built in to help such people. For example, there's voice control, so that if you have trouble typing, you can tell the phone what to do. There are additional features that can be activated to enhance the contrast of the screen, to zoom the graphics, to provide voiceover narration of the controls, to provide closed captioning, and there's even support for separate wireless Braille displays. Neil, can you tell us a little bit about Seizure Tracker? That's the app that helps monitor epileptic seizures. Well, SeizureTracker.com is a website devoted to providing tools to help understand the relationships between seizure activity and anti-epileptic medications. They have a mobile version of their website that can be used on any web-savvy cell phone, and they've recently introduced a free dedicated iPhone app to log seizures. So you can time and videotape seizures simultaneously by using this app. When you stop the video on timer, it immediately creates a log which is stored in a library of seizures. You can edit the event at any time to add additional details about triggers, the type of seizure you saw, what happened afterwards. And then you can also use the app to log seizures without videos attached. As a practical application, when someone comes in your office, how does it help you really improve the care you deliver? Keeping good records is an essential skill for managing chronic conditions such as epilepsy. So rather than relying on the memory of the patient or their caregiver, you can actually see what happened. Just like the man I talked about at the beginning of the interview who collapsed in front of his friends, parents or caregivers can 
precisely show the doctor who's taking care of the patient what is happening with that patient at home. Outpatient medicine is much harder than inpatient medicine because you're not there with the patient and you can't be called to the bedside. And to try to rely on memory is very, very uh, fraught with error. Dr. Busis, I'd like to continue with this important topic, but if you're just tuning in, you're listening to NeuroFrontiers on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and joining us today is Dr. Neil Busis, who's chief of the Division of Neurology at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, Shadyside. And today we're discussing mobile devices and how they're improving health care. Following up a little bit more about the discussion about seizure tracker, can you also use these software devices to monitor other chronic conditions? For example, migraine. When we see migraine patients, we're always asking them to keep some type of log. Does it work in that application as well? Well, actually, just a basic notes application is useful for things where you don't need a graphic component. A calendar can basically serve as a seizure diary. What you ate, what kind of headaches you had, what you took. Going back to what I said earlier, sometimes the very basic built-in cell phone functions the basic PDA functions, notes, calendar, email, contacts, can be used to track lots and lots of things and organize your personal health care. Does it make it easier for the physician as well during the patient visit? There's no question about it. One of my favorite patient population groups are engineers because these guys are so well organized. And prior to the Seizure Tracker app, my most productive office visits with an epilepsy patient were with a young man whose father was an engineer. The father graphed all the patient's seizures and correlated his anticonvulsant levels with the seizures. This is very labor-intensive but incredibly useful. Now such logs can be automated with software that we carry around on our phones. Were the graphs in color? Because I always like that when I have an engineer, and they graph the type of episode in color. So They were in uh, color, and, and in fact, I made fun of them. I said, listen, I said, you are so organized, you must get your income tax in early. He says, listen, Doc, he says, if I don't get my income tax in by January 15th, I'm nervous. <laughs> what? Neil, what new apps do you see on the horizon possibly coming from your engineering patient? Of course, everything that you have can be, you know, faster and better and quicker and stuff like that. But I think there are extensions of what we have now that we can see becoming more and more useful for patients. For example disease-specific social networks that can, as we might discuss later, lead to virtual clinical trials with patients with, with rare diseases. Better integration of voice controls. One of the next uh, features that may be in some smartphones are mini projectors. So they'll take the idea of screen magnification to the next level. You'll be able to project it on a wall. Location-aware apps to locate doctors, other patients, medical resources, etc. They're enhanced monitoring applications for everything from blood sugar levels to cardiac rhythm problems to Parkinson's disease. You can use the cell phones with cameras for basic telemedicine visits. I've had people send me pictures of what happened at home, and I can tell them what's going on. And with now these, these live uh, webcam-type features in cell phones, you could actually have a video conversation with someone and, in effect, do a virtual home visit. And... The other type of applications which I think are going to become more and more important are those that use augmented reality. And I don't know if the uh, listeners are, are used to this term, but augmented reality basically takes a picture and tags it. So, for example, if you went to Paris and you're a tourist and you pointed a picture at the Eiffel Tower and didn't know what it was, you could say, what's this? 
and it would tell you this is the Eiffel Tower. Well, that kind of augmented reality can be used for medical conditions. It could help with rash recognition, with recognition of abnormalities on CTs, things like that. Neil, will these apps help us with medical research now? There's no question about it. Years ago, when I was still using a Palm, I went to a technology greenhouse-type meeting and was stunned to learn that already, and this is 10 years ago, clinical trials were recording data from patients on smartphones to be transmitted to the research coordinator. For example, they were testing a new migraine drug, and they wanted to know whether the migraine drug helped patients have fewer headaches. So rather than paper logs or phone calls, the patients would keep a headache log dedicated to this research project on their palm at that time, and then they would transmit it to the research coordinator. By getting all that data real time, it is much, much better than relying on memory, paper logs, which can be lost or stolen, etc. The other big, big feature about medical research, which I think is going to revolutionize how we do it, is what I alluded to earlier, social networks. Social networks are starting to be used in medical research, especially as a way to gather large groups of patients with rare conditions into virtual clinical trials. So this most recent Mayo Clinic Proceedings article reports on a group of women who have spontaneous coronary artery dissection, and they were actually able to form a virtual multi-center trial for this rare condition because they linked each other by their smartphones. Neil, where would our listeners find out more about apps that might be useful for them on their mobile devices? Well, of course, just like with every other search, Google is a good place to start. For example, that's where I found a reference to the available apps to correct colorblindness, of which, by the way, there are 20. There are also various medical publications, some for free. Some of these, quote, throwaway, unquote, journals actually have very nice articles on medical technology. There are websites, there are courses, and probably most importantly is word of mouth, especially from younger colleagues and medical students. There are two very good general medical app websites. One of them is imedicalapps.com. That's one word, imedicalapps. And the other one is medicalsmartphones.com. That's also one word. I'd like to thank my guest, Dr. Neil Buses, Chief of the Division of Neurology at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, Shadyside, and Practice and Technology Editor for AAN.com. Dr. Buses, thanks again for being our guest today on NeuroFrontiers. Thank you. You've been listening to NeuroFrontiers on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. NeuroFrontiers is produced in cooperation with the American Academy of Neurology. For more information about this or any other show, please visit ReachMD.com, which now features on-demand podcasts.